You are listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to GI Insights, where we cover the latest clinical issues, trends, and technologies in gastroenterological practice. GI Insights is brought to you by AGA Institute and sponsored by Takeda Pharmaceuticals North America. Your host for GI Insights is Professor of Medicine at University of Illinois Chicago, Dr. Jay Goldstein. Welcome. There's expanding evidence in the literature that colonic health is based on diet and the microenvironment of the colon and its contents. Today joining us is Dr. Stephen J.D. O'Keefe, Professor of Medicine in the Division of Gastroenterology at the University of Pittsburgh to discuss the microbiota of the colonic tract and its influence on health and disease. Well, welcome today, Dr. O'Keefe. We're glad to have you at ReachMD. Thank you very much. Well, why don't you give us a little background about yourself and the topic. What research have you been doing that's new and novel to share with our listening audience? Well, I'm a practicing gastroenterologist. I have been involved in nutritional research for most of my career because I did an extra degree in human nutrition when I was in London, which is where I did all my training as well. And throughout this time or the last 30 years, I've been involved in various aspects of nutrition uh, as it relates to gastroenterology and gastroenterological diseases, bearing in mind that, you know, the, the chief reason for the gut being there is to digest and absorb food. So therefore, our patients who develop chronic GI problems are often malnourished, and so therefore, we've got to find ways of improving nutrition. So with regard to the colon, that's a relatively new field. You will all be aware that originally we thought that the colon simply extracted fluid from secretions and so therefore allowed us to live in deserts and places like that and drink very little fluid a day and excreted things that are not needed by the by the body. But exciting new evidence has come up now which has shown that it really plays, it's, it's an independent organ and plays a very, very key role in the maintaining not only the health of its own mucosa, but also the health of the individual. Well, what homeostatic functions and regulatory functions specifically would you like to highlight for us? The first thing is the symbiosis between the bacteria that are contained within the colon and the mucosa itself. The problem with investigating this aspect has been in the past that, you know, there are so many varieties of different types of bacteria within the colon that it's been very difficult to identify them using simple culture methods, which is what we used to rely on. And secondly, the fact that they are anaerobic organisms. So as soon as you take them out of the colon, in other words, if you have a stool sample to look at, as soon as it comes in contact with the oxygen in the air, it, they tend to die, and so therefore it's difficult to propagate them and identify them. And most recently, it's really the sort of genetic revolution that's occurred in genomics, which has given us the tools to at last look at DNA differences between different species, and in this case, species of bacteria. And, you know, up until recently, there were only thought to be about 50 different types of bacteria. Then it went up to 100, then 200. And it's really climbed exponentially over the last couple of years to somewhat over a thousand different types of species now and several thousand subspecies. So it's enlarging all the time. And first of all, we're now identifying the different types of bacteria. The next 
thing that we'll do is to look at the different effects they have in metabolism. It's really that role that we're focusing on at the moment that it's been known, for instance, for many years now that fiber is important in the diet. People, populations who've eaten an excess of over-refined foods have had a high prevalence of non-infective diseases of the colon, including diverticulitis, chronic constipation, and most importantly, adenomas and colon cancer. Are there any unique biochemical pathways in these bacteria leading to byproducts that influence the health or processes that are involved in uh, colonic health? Absolutely. And again, we're just sort of scratching the surface at the moment. I mean, it actually helps to illustrate the situation by looking at bacteria that have been identified with the tools that we have at the moment to produce either good substance or bad substances. To give you an example, for instance, certain bacteria break down undigested carbohydrates, which ends up in the colon. An undigested carbohydrate can either be fiber, which everybody knows about, but can also be resistant starch. So even in so-called digestible carbohydrate sources, such as maize meal, potatoes, and various other things, there's a small percentage of starch that will not that will escape digestion in the small bowel. And that ends up as fuel for the bacteria in the colon. And not only does that provide the life source of nutrients for the colonic bacteria, but the bacteria in return give something back to the host, namely short-chain fatty acids. And short-chain fatty acids are extremely important. In particular, there's one called butyrate, which has been shown to have a key regulatory effect on the mucosal epithelium. It basically controls the rate of proliferation and the rate of differentiation of the colonic epithelium. And as you're aware, those are key factors in your risk of developing colon cancer. That's fascinating. I remember uh, years gone by, there was talk about using butyrate as a treatment for inflammatory processes. Is that still standardized? Is that still used? Yes, it's probably all linked up together because there's now increasing evidence that chronic inflammation increases risk of, of cancer, not just in the colon, but throughout the body. And the theory is that, in fact, I'm going to sort of finish the story, there's the good bacteria that produces butyrate. There are other so-called bad bacteria, although I don't like using good and bad terms in that way, but but it's it's useful to look at it that way. There are certain bacteria which are increased in their activity if you have a diet, for instance, that has an excess of red meat. And red meat is a source of not only amino acids, but sulfur in the diet. And they stimulate the, the growth of sulfur, sulfate-reducing bacteria, which metabolize the meat products, end products, to hydrogen sulfide, which is highly toxic, and recent studies have shown that it's actually genotoxic as well. And so therefore, you can see that you can set up a chronic inflammatory process if you switch to a sort of a high animal protein diet and a diet which is deficient in carbohydrate or fiber so that you don't produce the good end effect, which is butyrate. So you sort of tip the balance towards a chronic inflammatory state which increases the rate of chronic proliferation, which is the most sensitive biomarker that we have at present 
of measuring colon cancer risk. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to GI Insights and ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I am your host, Dr. Jay Goldstein, and joining me today to discuss the microbiota and probiotics and their relationship to GI disorders is Dr. Stephen O'Keefe, professor of medicine at the University of Pittsburgh Division of Gastroenterology. Well, what disease state specifically would you like to highlight? I understand that there's a role in obesity and in colon cancer. Would you like to expound on that? Yes. As you know, there's an epidemic of obesity in most developed countries nowadays. Um, USA is no exception. Um, There's an enormous amount of money going into research to look at ways of identifying why some individuals have better energy balances than others. It's always been known that certain people tend to put on weight more readily than others. And we've always thought about hormonal reasons, thyroid function and the like. But some fascinating studies have come out of uh, Jeff Gordon's lab in Washington University, where they've actually shown that if you have a predominance of one type of bacteria in your colon, your ability to conserve energy within the body is increased. First of all, they showed it in in rats or perhaps mice, but certainly in rodents. And lastly, they showed that there was a tip in the balance between firmicutes and bacteroides species. And firmicutes are more effective in producing butyrate and short-chain fatty acids, which conserve energy, which is unsort of digested by the small bowel, but reaches the colon and salvaged within the colon rather than being excreted in the stools. So it's just another little piece of the puzzle in the in the obesity question. Well, moving on from obesity, very simply, is there a role of diet in colon cancer beyond just fiber? Yes, it is extremely complex. And, and we've been doing some fascinating studies where we're looking at geographic differences in colon cancer and then relating it to population dynamics. And what's of major concern is that the group with the highest instance of colon cancer and the highest risk of colon cancer death in the USA are African Americans. What is intriguing is that if you go to Africa itself, Native Africans living in Africa today very, very rarely get either polyps or colon cancer. So, you know, it argues very strongly for environmental factors. We've been doing some studies on looking at dietary differences between the two different groups. And what's strongly associated with colon cancer is a westernized type diet, which has a high, as I mentioned before, animal product content. In Africa, you rarely eat meat. It's a sort of a status symbol if you can get it. And the diet consists almost predominantly of corn or cornmeal. And if you cook cornmeal in the way they do, they make it into a sort of a pudding and boil it up. It produces a lot of resistant starch, which, as I mentioned earlier, behaves in exactly the same way as fiber. I'd like to thank my guest, Dr. Stephen O'Keefe from the University of Pittsburgh, for joining me today to discuss the role of probiotics in GI disorders and overall colonic health. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you very much. You have been listening to GI Insights on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. GI Insights is brought to you by AGA Institute and sponsored by Takeda Pharmaceuticals North America. 
For additional information on this program and on-demand podcasts, visit us at ReachMD.com and use promo code AGA. Takeda Pharmaceuticals North America is proud to sponsor this important and quality programming for ReachMD listeners. Takeda does not control the editorial content of this broadcast. The views expressed are solely those of the guests who are selected by the AGA Institute. Based in Deerfield, Illinois, Takeda Pharmaceuticals North America is a wholly owned subsidiary of Takeda Pharmaceutical Company Limited, the largest pharmaceutical company in Japan. In the United States, Takeda markets products for diabetes, insomnia, wakefulness, and gastroenterology, and is developing products in the areas of diabetes, cardiovascular disease, and other conditions. Takeda is committed to striving toward better health for individuals and progress in medicine by developing superior pharmaceutical products. To learn more about the company and its products, visit www.tpna.com.